Good morning, everybody. Praise God. You all come from different backgrounds. And some people see me at the frontier, whatever, and they think that I should be there forever. Right? For the rest of my life. And that, you, you, you get people like that. You go, what? You're just, you know, something's changing? Things should never change. No, things should change. Then you have other members who want me to get out of the way and raise up other leaders, but they still want me to stay. You know? And that's a funny one, but you get that as well. They want you to stay, but no, I, I can't do that. Look at Mark chapter 1. Take a look at this. It's a great scripture. Mark chapter 1, verse 32. Mark 1, verse 32. Jesus is telling us how to walk in ministry, how to behave. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, there it is again, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. So they couldn't find him. Pastor's missing, right? And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everybody's looking for you. You're supposed to be here for the rest of your life. You're supposed to sit there, right? Everybody's looking for you. And Jesus replied to them, Let's go somewhere else. Look at me a moment. Jesus has gone into a village. He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. And everybody's very excited. So they go and bring all their sick friends everybody's got, there's a big, big crowd, and they go and get Jesus, and they say, come and heal these people too. What does he say? He says, no. He's not a pastor, you see, he's an apostle. So, prophet, priest, apostle. He is doing his job. He's doing what he should do. But I guarantee you, how do you think that crowd felt? How do you think that people felt? How do you think someone who brought their sick mom or sick dad? But the fact is, he had appointed others trained others to do that job, right? And they should have been operating in that and operating under the same umbrella, the same anointing. And I want you to see that. He, Jesus was operating under a vision, a supervision, and I want you, me, and us as a, as a body to do exactly the same thing. When people don't have a vision, what happens to them? What do they do? What do they do? Thank you. Read it. Where there is no vision in a person's heart, they start to behave differently. Myself and Jeanette did cold turkey with a drug addict in Dublin called Mark. He was a very strange individual. Very cultured, very polite, very well educated. He's the last person on earth you would think would be addicted to heroin. And I remember when I first met him, I thought, you're a heroin addict? Wow, that's strange. And I, three times I did cold turkey with him in our building where we kept him in the place for seven days around the clock. And as I got to staying up all night with him, I got talking to him, you know. His father's a very wealthy man indeed. Very successful man. I said, Mark, how on earth did you end up on heroin? I mean, you? What happened to you? And you know, as he told me his story, I began to realize even though he had a wealthy background, even though he was educated and he had everything going for them, Mark could never find could never find a vision for his life that came from God. Now his father had ideas and other people have ideas, but he himself never got that vision. My point is, he never used heroin. That wasn't his background. But his behavior changed. Because he couldn't seem to get a grip. And I remember his father, when we did the funeral, his father standing beside the grave. And he had restrained himself. His, his father had been very self-contained and reserved throughout the approach to the funeral. But you know the hard part when the box goes in the ground, isn't it? When the box started to be lowered down, that businessman just started to shout one word. What was the word? Why? 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 And he just exploded and it made your skin crawl, you know. But I, it wasn't appropriate for me to answer the father. Why did your son's behavior change? Why did he lose his way? The fact is, dad, he lost his way because he lost his vision. That's what he lost. 
He, looked, he knew that God could do something through him, but he never achieved that. Never got it. Didn't know how. We had another guy here, Sandy. Some of you remember Sandy. Now, Sandy tried heroin for the first time when he was 38 years old. I mean, that's incredibly advanced in life, isn't it? Why on earth would someone do that? Answer me. Why? Because he, had, he couldn't find a vision. In fact, his girlfriend left him is what happened. And his vision of the future kind of fell apart. And when it did, he turned, you know, crazy as it may sound, he turned to heroin. I just want you to think about your life, your future, and what vision you're currently operating in. Every Christian need one, needs one. Don't go through life seeing with your physical eyes. If you're born again, in fact, if you're born again, put your hand up. Let's see all those born again. Very good. That's nearly everybody. Therefore, the Bible talks about you having the eyes of your heart. Have you heard that term? And we sing the songs, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Well, folks, I'm sorry, most people don't use the eyes of their heart. Okay, they just walk in with natural sight and they never actually connect with their inner spirit and live and be spirit-led and spirit-guided. And the vision that they operate in is coming, emanating out of the spirit from God. Now, I thank God for that. He, he has put a very specific gift within me in this department. And I do see things very clearly. I see that's the most common way in which I hear from God. I hear by seeing and understanding things. i give you an example, actually. Pastor Jimmy Dunn, some of you know him in Dublin. He's a great, great guy. He's a very old friend of mine. Uh, and and he, um, he came up to me recently in Belfast, and he was wanting to relaunch his church in Dublin. And he said, would you pray for me? I said, yes, no problem. Now, pastors, you guys need to get yourself into a place where you can see quickly. And not, not ongoing labor all the time. But get to a place where you can see quickly. Close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes. Some of you are not close. MC, close, there you go. Close your eyes. If I see your eyes open, I'm going to call your name. <laughs> now, open your eyes. How long did it take you to see me? Exactly. No delay. Now, are you saying that your spirit is slower? You should be able to shut your physical eyes and you should be able to get yourself to a place where you can see, you can perceive things in life. As I've said many times, if God's not talking to you, you've got some trouble. If you cannot hear from God, there's some blockage somewhere, and I need to be radical in solving that. But Jimmy came up to me and he said, pray for me, you know, just speak over me. I closed my eyes. You know, as soon as I closed my eyes, my, my spiritual eyes, the eyes of my heart opened, and I just spoke over him what I saw. I said, Jimmy... It was instantaneous, just like you opened your eyes right now. I said, Jimmy, do you know what I see? I see a lake, and I see a stone hitting the middle of the lake, and I see the ripples going out to the edge. And God says, you are the stone, but you're not the ripples. And God is holding you accountable to reach the inner circle, not to emanate. Just concentrate on that, and they will do the work. Those you appoint will influence others who will influence others. But you're taking pressure on yourself to do the whole lake. Don't do that. Well, he jumped up. He jumped. He thought, yes. Ah, okay, okay, good. He said, you don't understand what you've just said. I have just had an AO poster printed with a lake, with a stone hitting the lake, with the ripples going out to the edge. And next Sunday, the following Sunday, he was having it erected behind his pulpit. I said, I'm going back to Dublin to launch this series. So, he's a man leaving with a vision. A man leaving knowing that God is in his vision. Knowing that God is going to endorse what he's going to do. Folks, we all need that. Amen? Now, I promise you, you can get to the place in the spirit where when you close your eyes and you open up your, your spirit... That God can speak to you and lead you. And it's not an ongoing labor. I admit in the beginning, for me, it, it is ongoing labor. But those days pass. And you enter into a quick flow in life. Which really leads you to, to walk into the vision that God gives you. Next slide, please, guys. 
See, even in this room this morning, we have many different types of people. Some of you have no vision at all. You don't know where you're going. You're just being led by life. Remember, if you don't lead your life, life will lead you. And there's plenty of other people who will lead you. If you walk down Sucky Hall Street, Buchanan Street, Oxford Street, every shop window is trying to catch your vision. Materialism. Right? Fashion. Call it what you want. Every organization, every business in this country is built to try and give you a vision, a picture of your future. Now, if you've already got one, you're in no danger. If you already have a vision that's come from God, it doesn't interest you. But if you do not have a vision, that's the people that the advertising agencies, that's the people that the high street, it's a materialistic vision and they try to usurp God because we haven't given him his place. Not just in materialism, but also the cults. I mean, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, they're walking the streets of our city. They're not particularly looking for you, are they? You know, they'll take you if they can convert you. But they're looking for people who don't know where they're going. That's what they're looking for. People who don't have any vision because they're actually very vulnerable people even though they don't know it. So this is probably the biggest portion of society and even in churches. Secondly, here this morning, there will be those who have a vision, but they give up on it. Remember in the book of Habakkuk, what did he say? Even if the vision tarry, wait, wait for it. That God can speak to you, he can give you a promise, but it could be decades before you, it may not be, but you just leave that in the hands of God. God could speak something to you, and it could be many years. Remember when God spoke to Peter, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and all that. And another prophecy he gave was, when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and you'll be crucified. Do you know it was over 30 years, 30 years later, before that happened, 30 years. So here's a prophecy being given. It's it's Peter has a vision of his future. It's actually a cross. But it was 30 years before that it tarried and then eventually it came to pass. So don't give up on it. When God gives you that that position, that role within the body, which I'll talk about in a moment, give it time. Let it consolidate because you need to grow into it. Thirdly, as well as those who have given up, there is those who pursue it wrongly. Prophets are really guilty of this, like Moses. Moses knew what he was called to do, but he goes out and kills the Egyptian, right? He, he, He was too keen, too eager to fulfill what he knew, what he saw prophetically was going to happen. Eventually, he tried to achieve it himself. So there are many rules and principles from God about how we achieve the vision of God. And fourthly, lastly, there's those who achieve it with collective wisdom and diligence. One of the the, the strangest things about your God is seeds die, you know. If you have a little seed in your hand, the seed has huge potential. But what does the seed have to do? Die. Isn't that a strange system? So, I can give you something in your life, and you think that's it? Nah, that thing has to die. Every vision has to die. And believe me, I've got a vision, okay? I, I, I have heard from God loud and clear for my life. I know what it is to hear from God. He's made it very clear for me, so I can help you. But I also understand how to achieve vision, and you achieve vision not wrongly, not by being independently minded, but by finding a church that you can trust, finding a church that has a good mission, right? A church that's good on doctrine, etc., etc., and God will give you that, but then you must bring your vision and give it to whoever is leading that place. Many of you have been called already by God, but you've never properly responded. I opened a church in Dublin. It was doing very, very well, very successful. Not long, really there, about a year and a half. And one of the VFC pastors came to me. Well, he scared the life out of me. He said, shut down your church and come and join me. Well, every protective bone in my body kicked it. Get off my vision. Don't dare touch my dream. And I remember it was one night. I spent one sleepless, restless night. And all, you know, scriptures turning like a washing machine in my head. 
And I thank God for that night, because early the next day, I rang that pastor and I, I said to him, do you know what? You're asking me, you're asking me to give up everything that I've dreamed of. Have you got any idea what this has cost me? But you know what? It's right. I, should, I shouldn't be independent. So I'm going to bring my people, I'm going to bring our church, and I'm going to come and join. That is the best decision I ever made. Best decision I ever made. What did it cost me? Everything. And what do you gain? Everything and more. So every person here should have some idea what God is calling them to do. But that idea needs to die. Needs to be surrendered. Just like the seed. If the seed doesn't die, it's going to be a pretty boring life for that vision, my friend. You need to be willing to give it up for the greater good. Next slide, please. Let me ask you some questions then. Where are you getting your current vision from? Some of you were here a few weeks ago when the guy started shouting at me. Were you here? Remember the guy shouting at me at the frontier? Did you hear him? He was crazy. Wasn't he bad, Sheila? <laughs> oh, man, he's a crazy guy. He was a nutcase. Uh, do you know what he was screaming in the end? Did you hear him? I'm going to get rich. I'm going to get rich. You'll see I'm going to be rich. That's what he was saying. And he said, God gave me this book. I've written this book. I'm going to make millions of it. Okay. He said, I don't want that. You know, that's why I wouldn't let him speak, by the way. Some of you think I'm too hard. No, I'm not too hard. He's not going to speak in here. Heaven, above, come on. I'm not going to infect these people over my dead body. I'll knock his block off first. Crazy. See, I said to him, I tried, I very gently I said to him, that is not good. This is not right. Where are you getting your vision from, friend? What's motivating you? Where did you get that? Where did you get that vision? You didn't get it from God. You've got some wonky dream, some crazy dream about getting rich through writing. This is nonsense. Absolute nonsense. But friends, what about you? <laughs> what crazy dreams knock around in your head? And we're so full in our head that God can't get his perspective or his dream into us. So don't be led by the world, by society, by life, by culture, even by family. I will not be led by any of these in the first instance. Amen? Oh yes. I will be led by one only. Didn't you know that it had to be about my father's business? Don't you understand that? I have a father and I will obey him and I will be about his business. Don't you understand that? And unless you're willing to be that rebel, that radical in regards to this, you will never get a vision. And that's fine. You'll be with the 99% who live that for all their lives. That's a choice each individual has to make. But I trust you, I mean, trust me, friends. The world will offer you every placebo that you can dream of. And I, my advice to you is don't take it because they will give you contentment for a moment. They will appease you for a time. But in later life is what you always begin with the end in mind. Always think about the finish line. Right? If you did my job, you might be more aware of that. You get a phone call and somebody's dying. You have another phone call, somebody's dying and they always want you to go and sit by the bed. Do you know what? Nearly every deathbed that I've been at, it's the same thing. You know that? You go into the room. Do you know what the person dying says? Everybody leave. I want to talk to him on my own. Everybody go. Always the same. They want privacy because they've had time to think. And they start to think back over their lives. And they've had time to consider because they're just about to go into the next life. And all the jokes are over. And they're leaving all the people who control them behind. And they suddenly become very serious, very pensive. And you, I could almost articulate it for them. And after you've done a few of those occasions, it kind of does change your perspective in life. It change your, changes your priorities in life. Uh, and so it should. So it should. So much of the advice I got, looking back on it, was wrong. I should have listened to Jesus from the beginning. I listened to people. I listened to leaders who were not right themselves. Leaders who were themselves wonky 
And I thank God for VFC because I think it's a very good church. I think our senior pastor is a very, very dedicated man who leads a very simple life. But he's completely and utterly committed. So I thank God for this uh, way of life that you can be led into if you're willing to be led into it. Uh, I am very willing to be led into it. Don't go for these worldly schemes. Don't sell yourself short when God can do wonders and work wonders through you. Amen? Like Pastor Davis was saying, we don't have enough workers. We don't have enough workers anywhere. Churches without pastors all over Europe. We need leaders. We need people to rise up and go and do that. And some of you are more than capable of doing that. But you've bought into the wrong system. If your hands are full and I try to give you something, you can't take it, can you? So you have to empty those hands, you know. Oh yeah. You have to empty those hands. Empty your life. It's not just singing it like we did this morning. Empty those hands. Empty that life and make room for your God, who is a good God. Knows more than you. He sees the end of the game. God sees me. Me. In eternity. I see me in now. God sees me for a million, 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 million years in long eternity. And his advice to me is based on that. It's not based on today. It's not based on tomorrow. It's not based on the next ten years. It's based on a fleeting, brief life. So if I'm an idiot, I'll focus on this life. If I'm like the world... Like the pagans. I will focus on this world and I will run after everything they run after. Correct? What a stupid thing that would be. Instead, I should listen to my Savior and focus on the kingdom and get a heavenly mindedness. Lift up my head. Yeah, absolutely. Lift up my head to the hills because we're going there. (laughs) Maybe not long we'll be going there. So... I want to challenge every one of you. Look at me. Listen to me. I'm challenging you. Where did you get your vision from? Who gave it to you? Because if it came from the world, you're going to have to repent of it, regurgitate it, get it out of your system, and you need to be willing to do that. Many people are not willing to do that. Like the rich young ruler. Next slide, please. The second place that we get... Hello? Next slide, please. Um, The second place is churches. Now, don't trust all churches, folks, because uh, there's a lot of wonky, there's a lot of wonky churches out there. Churches that don't have a vision that originated from God. Uh, Plenty of them. Some pastors, when it comes to giving their church a vision, they make it up. The members start saying, what's the vision? Where are we going? And a pastor can feel under pressure and he doesn't know what to do. So he gets a flip chart, you know. I was in one of these meetings many years ago. I, wasn't, I was a junior pastor, and the senior pastor took us all away, the leadership team away, and we were going to find the vision for the church. You see, vision weekend. So they got a flip chart, and the senior guy's got his marker, and he stands up, and he starts talking to the leaders. What do you think the vision? And they started writing the thing down. Oh, I tell you what, I stayed in the room. I didn't leave. Uh, they say, when he came to me, if you, what do you think? I've got no comment. I've got no comment. God help me. A flip chart, right? Okay. Why was I not cooperating? God! What are you asking me for? What are you asking? Why are you still focused on people? What are you asking me? What the vision of the church is for? You're there to tell me, aren't you? What are you asking me for? You've got a lack of vision, friend. That's your problem. Look at Acts chapter 26. Look at this. Acts chapter 26, verse 19. This is Paul talking. King of all visionaries. Paul, Acts chapter 6, verse 19. This is Paul speaking. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from where? Heaven. The vision that was given to him for his life is Acts chapter 26, verse 19. Paul is talking about where he got his vision from. And he says to Agrippa, I have not been disobedient to the vision that I got from my friends. (laughs) Now, from heaven... God himself gave Paul a vision and that's why he was able to achieve it and that's why it didn't have a bitter taste in the end. In the end of his life, he knew he was going to a crown. He knew he had obeyed the system. He's a wonderful example to us. But many churches do make it up. Look at this one here. Other churches are gift-based. 
like a gift-based church, a good example of that is Hillsongs. Hillsongs is one of the most famous churches in the world. One of the biggest churches in the world as well. But I will never work for a church that bases its identity upon a gift. It is an error, it is an imbalance, because you're going to get consumers. You're going to get, you can always get a crowd. Listen friends, look at me. We've got money in our account. I can hire today one of the best worship leaders you've ever dreamed of. I can do that. I have the power to do it. But I won't do it. I won't do it. Because what you will do is you will become a consumer. And you will come here every Sunday and the whole city will talk about being lost in worship and the lost can go to hell, is it? Oh yeah. That's exactly what happens. You get huge crowds who follow the giftings instead of the Lord and you get churches who you... And that, to me, this is corruption. I'm not bad-mouthing hill songs. God bless them and all they do. I love it. We all love it and we've all benefited from it. My, my point is balance. You get other churches and there's an awesome preacher and all of a sudden there's like 30,000 people in the place. I don't want to know about that. I want to, to... The church needs to be based on missions, evangelism, reaching the lost and church planting. Amen. Amen. It's the reason you're here, folks. I've said this many times. People don't hear it. Oh, I'll say it one more time. Why, don't answer me. Why do you exist? Why do you exist? And the, the number one answer to that question, and the correct answer, is you exist to worship God. The fundamental reason for creation is to worship God. I understand that. Next question. Why does time exist? Got nothing to do with worship. <laughs> we have this thing called time. Not talking about you. I'm talking about time. And the Bible answers that question in 2 Peter when Peter says the only reason that we're all still here is so that the lost can be saved. So the primary purpose for my creation is that I would worship God in all eternity. But on this earth, in time, my primary focus should not just be that worship because that's imbalanced. We have a lot of work to do, right? We've got evangelism. We've got the Saturday knocking at the doors, etc., etc. But when churches get gift-focused, those churches never, in my opinion, the day's not over, the bonfire hasn't been lit yet, and we arrive at that day, I will not give my life to a gift-based church. I will give it to a church-planting church whose number one focus is the lost, and that's why I'm here. Third, thirdly, parachurch schemes. Many people take their gift, and they take it outside, and they form all sorts of organizations, and you can follow people like that. I will never follow people like that. It's, it's a wrong perspective. The gifts don't belong to us, do they? They belong to the church. The gifts belong to the church. But parachurch groups do this every day. I don't want any part of that. Just understand, I began by telling you that you can get a vision from the world and every street in every city is trying to give it to you. Every company is trying to give it to you. I will not receive it from the world. I will not receive it from the church, per se. I will receive... Next slide, please. I will receive my vision from God, which is the place I should get it from. I need to humble myself and seek him and ask him what he wants for my future. I hope you're listening, friends. Look at me. If you don't get your vision from God, you will cast off restraint. And you'll start seeking other things. Whether it's consumerism, you'll start seeking other things to fill you up. But they will never fill you up. And you're heading for you know, a downfall, whether it's mental, spiritual, emotional. It is not a good track. So we need to heed scripture. Look at Psalm 37 verse 4. Psalm 37 verse 4. We could all quote this, right? <laughs> Vision should come from God. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. We all know that, right? We all know that. It's a memory verse every Christian can quote because people love it. And you know the way we interpret it? People interpret this, if I delight myself in God, He's going to give me everything I want. <laughs> okay, I'll delight myself in God then and then I'll get everything I want. That's not what it says. In the Hebrew, this scripture says this. Eyes forward, look at me please, pay attention. This scripture says this. If you delight yourself in God, he will put his desires, put, 
is the word. He will put his desires in your heart, not your desires. How corrupt we are. How we take scriptures and turn them to our own advantage. That scripture is not about you. It's about God. It's about God looking for an empty vessel so he can fill it. He's looking for someone whose delight is in him. And when he finds that person, he will put his plans, his vision in their heart. Are you with me? God, I pray you give them that by revelation and not just intellect. Because if you understand that, you see, you'll begin to make room in your heart for God. You'll begin to make space for him. You'll begin to let him in. And he will not be slow. Not be slow in in leading you and guiding you if you let him in. You take one step towards him. He'll take a hundred towards you. Make him your delight. Make him your hiding place. Make room for him. Not many days left, folks. Amen? Not many days left. Time's winding up. Where should I get my vision from, Lord? I should delight myself in you. And you have promised me that you will put your plans in my heart. Okay. I will make you my delight. And those plans are to achieve his goals, to build his church, the salvation of the lost, etc., etc. It's not too late here for anybody in this room. Every person. I told you I planted a church in Navin. Church is running about 70 people today. I planted that church with three couples and one of them was 58, but all the others were over 60. A very successful church plant, very good job. They did a great job. So I don't care what age you are, God can still conscript you. He can still use you. Amen? Amen. And there's multiplied stories all over the world about that. So don't write yourself off for any reason. Uh, Don't write yourself off for any reason. Rather, make yourself open, make yourself available. Next slide, please, guys. I want your full attention for this one. Because people come to me with visions all the time. Uh, God's given me this gift or that gift. Uh, and a very important a point for me is what is the vision appealing to? Because some people come with a, a, a vision that is just appealing to their, their body or to the flesh, you know. And that is not God. It's not, they have a vision. Could you go forward one and then just come back? Look at this. This is a typical type of vision. I'm going to be successful in my life. I'm going to have loads of... And then I'm going to retire and sit beside a swimming pool. It's vision. So, is this a heavenly vision? Did this vision come from God? But this is the vision. This is the vision of how many percentage of Christians? What percentage? The vast majority of Christians sold out to the world, blinded because they have never emptied their spirit. We think we're not worldly. You think you're not worldly. You think you're not worldly. What is your vision? I have no problem with this. If you're telling me that God put you on the step, then I'm with you 100%. 100%. I have no problem with this when it's sacrificed to God. But I have a big problem with this. (laughs) I got a big problem with the swimming pool scenario, friend. Because we don't retire. That's the only picture that is absolutely no place on there, actually, is the last one. Now, I thank God. He's blessed my life phenomenally. And I'm spoiled in some ways. And for the last five or six years, I've been enabled to travel all over the world. Stay in some phenomenal hotels. I go to Singapore four times a year. Have you been to Sentosa Island? I think that's the closest thing to paradise I've ever seen. Right, Chris? Sentosa. You don't, don't, don't like it. I'm glad you said that. Sentosa is like, it's like that picture. It's like Paradise Island. And people go from all over the world to go there. And because of my job, I have had a taste of the high life. I've had a good taste of four-star, five-star hotels just because that's where they put you. And I've experienced it. And I end up in paradise locations many times. Let, please listen. <laughs> you know, one thing comes into my head. Because we end up in Sentosa Island regularly for meals and stuff. One thing comes into my head as soon as I walk onto Sentosa. Do you know what it is? Get me out of here. <laughs> I hate this place. Could I have my pictures up, please? 
Do you know, see that? It's death. That's what it, it's death. It's absolute death. It's a dream that the world sells so many people. They, they give their lives for it. They work their whole lives for a false dream. For a fake reality. Because listen, I hope you hear what I'm saying. I've already been there. And I've come back. And I'm telling you, there's nothing there. Are you with me? It's an empty dream. It's a vain dream. Like Solomon said, whoa, all is vanity. All is vanity. We live in a self-obsessed age. With everybody taking a selfie. An age that is totally obsessed and not on Facebook. Do you know what Facebook is? Describe Facebook to me in one word beginning with V. Vanity. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. So don't talk to me about the world and the fact that we're all so spiritual because we're not. We actually get tied up in this whole system over our heads in it. Yesterday, I had the great privilege and great honor of taking Jeanette out for coffee with Leanne. And we went down to Dolby's and we sat there. Now, Leanne's just given away her possessions, right? She gave away the stuff she had left and she's left herself with her clothes and a few books and bits and bobs and she's getting ready to move back. And in some ways, like myself, she's been cut right down to zero. And she said some very interesting things to me. Uh, things I didn't expect her to say. She said, you know, she feels like she's given everything away. She's got nothing left. And she said this, do you know what? See, if you tried to give it back to me, I wouldn't take it. And it really made me happy. I was like, ah, she got it, she got it, she got it. You really got it. You really got it. You really got it. Most people don't get it. Matthew chapter 13. Look at this. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 45. Matthew chapter 13, verse 45. I'm giving you time to find it because I want you to see it. 1345, Matthew. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he finds one of great value, he goes away and he sells everything he has just for that one thing. Eyes forward. The dream of this life that is imposed upon you by people, whether it's family, your boss in work, Whatever, or society, or the high street. That dream is so heavy, it will kill you. And your stress, your stress, comes from trying to carry stuff that no man can carry. Your stress, your burnout, your emptiness, whatever it may be, comes from the fact that you don't actually obey a heavenly vision, but you're exhausting yourself in pursuing visions given by people or visions that are wrong. And the day that you put that stuff down, the day that you put, you actually pick up another cross. Jesus said, pick up his cross. But there's a, there's a miracle, which is why Leanne said what she said, is why I'm saying what I'm saying. There's a miracle that happens in that transition that most of you have never experienced. You, you cross the line and all of a sudden, Poof, what, what happens? <laughs> what happened then? What happened then? I feel so light. I feel so light. What was that? What was the weight on me then? And sudden, ah, I see. The one distinguishing factor in a pearl, very light. Pearls are light. And Jesus said that his cross is actually, his cross is light. (laughs) My yoke is not burdensome. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, and, And it's a strange, it's a strange thing. I only wish I'd discovered it many years ago. Next week in the evening, we have questions and answers. I'm not going to get into it today. I am not telling you to go out of this place and sell all you have. and give. I'm not telling you to do that. But if you want to do it, that's fine. Okay? If you want to. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and talked to him. And Jesus said, well, if you want to. And he said, well, I don't want to. I don't want to. I'd rather keep my stuff. <laughs> so Jesus said, okay. And the young man went away. Sad. Heavy. No, it's okay. I'll hang on to it. I'm going to keep it. <laughs> So, I'll balance up next Sunday night. I just want you to understand something. What, uh, do you have the previous slide, Stefan, please? 
what is your vision of the future appealing to? If it's appealing to some worldly dream, then you run the risk of working your whole life and putting all your finances all the time into one dream and that dream was wrong. And the vast majority of Christians, I'm sorry to say this, but the vast majority of Christians are absolutely right on that track, in my opinion. And they won't make the decisions because of Job, because of the central chapter. Remember, Job, chapter 1 and 2, about the destruction. Job, chapter 43, about the restoration. The middle bit, what's it about? What people will say. 38 chapters devoted to one thing. What people will say. God's not wrong. Do you know why we don't do? Do you know why we don't? Because of what people will say. And when you listen to me today, there's a person in your head. If I, do, if I do what he's saying, what's she going to say? What's he going to say? Controlled by people, see? Controlled by people. And you can't let that happen. You ha- if you're going to follow Jesus, he's very clear on this one. It's a radical old journey. It's a bit of a revolution. But you have to take it. I was the first one to take that in my family. And so I had the honor of laying hands on my parents, the honor of being the first one baptized, the honor of going in there with that message. But that takes you to be, in the eyes of the world, a little bit of a rebel. So, hey, what's my vision? What's my vision for my future? Jelena, give us a wave. This is Jelena. She's my interpreter for the last few years into Russian. And she and I were standing here a few weeks ago speaking to the Russian congregation. I don't know about you, but that, the Spirit of God came over me that day. And I saw that cross at the back for the first time. Did that happen to you? Yeah, right? Hey, I couldn't believe it. I've stood here nearly 550 times. But for the first time, as we were preaching, I looked to the back of the room. You know the blue cross? I looked to the back of the room and I felt that God was giving me a new vision. Beach? No. What was it? It's the original vision. It's a cross. The original vision was always a cross. So when Jesus is just about to be crucified, he turns to Peter. And he says, Peter, you're going to be very successful. You're going to make lots of money. And then you're going to retire on Sentosa. He said, Peter, I'm just about to be crucified. And by the way, so are you. Come and follow me. In the last 30 to 40 to 50 years in the church, in the world, prosperity, which I'm not against, prosperity has become an idol, possessions, property, vehicles, you name it. It's become the the, the focus of the church. It's become a brand for so-called success. Well, it doesn't mean a thing, friends. The scripture says the wicked prosper, right? As well as the righteous. It's not, it doesn't mean anything. There are plenty of very good people who are very poor. And there's plenty of very rich people who are very bad. So you can't use that as any measuring rod because it's a broken rod. It doesn't work. All I know is this. The same Jesus Christ who ascended will one day return. And he gives me one vision only. And it is definitely a cross. And he says that I should take up my cross every day and make a determination to follow him. Now, you're welcome to do the same thing. I advise you to do that all the more because the days are short. Time is running out. And if you look at politics and the world and the wars, for me, that's God speaking. That's God speaking through the TV with all these wars. Whatever my vision is leading me to, it is not to relax and to retire at the seaside. My vision should be making me grow. Are you growing? Because of the changes, because of the sacrifice, are you growing because of it? Then you need to reassess your vision. My vision should be leading me to greater sacrifice. Jesus. 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 My last trip to Singapore is the hardest thing I have ever done in my whole life. The hardest day the hardest moment, the hardest hour. Because I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be with Jeanette. And I signed her into that home. 
And I dragged myself. David said, I put a muzzle on my flesh. I dragged myself to that airport. I dragged myself into that thing, subduing. I've got enough money. I don't need money. I've got money. I've got loads of money. I can walk out of this place if I want to. I don't need money. I don't need, I don't need anything. I don't need prestige. I don't need your clap. I don't need anything. So I'm not going to Singapore because I need anything. I don't. I'm going because I believe it's right. And I dragged myself into that room and I sat down at the table. And at one point, I was just ready to explode. I was ready to erupt. So I actually held my seat. That's what I did. I held on to my seat. And I remember the only person in the room who noticed was Rick. Because he was sitting in front of me and he saw me grab my seat. And he just looked at me. And he completely transformed. Wow. It's like he turned into a soldier, like an army, like a very strong general. Strange, I can't describe it. Very strong. And just looked at me as if to say, stay in the seat, boy. (laughs) Stay in the seat. Don't press the eject button. And I stayed. And then I caught a calm, and you're through to the next phase. (sighs) Jesus. Like all of you, my vision for my future... It involved many things, many of which were not from God. And I've put, either God has wrestled them out of my hand, or I voluntarily have put them down. But I have a fresh vision, and the vision is a cross. The vision is a future where I will serve His purposes and His purposes only, no matter what that cost may be. And in this country, we've been guilty in the past of saying these things. They don't matter, do they? Because we're not under persecution in Britain. But the times, they are changing. And so, indeed, in VFC, you have the chance, if God is calling you to be a martyr, you have the chance to do that now more than we've ever had in the last couple of hundred years, right? Because all of a sudden, Christians are getting their heads chopped off and everything else around the world. So... God did speak would we go would you go would you go or has everything else weighed you down and burdened you down you just can't do that you can't do it folks I make no apology whatsoever for preaching to you this morning so radically okay some of you are sitting there and you're judging me in your head And you're saying, you don't understand my responsibilities. You don't understand my predicament. You don't understand my life. Wrong. 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 What, do you think I fell out of the sky five minutes ago? I understand all the things that you're wrestling with. And you see, the reason I'm able to sit in the room is because I know you've all been through it. And you're still here. I can do this too. I can do this. I can make this sacrifice because I believe that others have done it before me. But the deception is to think you don't understand. Deception. Deception. That's what it is. Deception to look around and think, well, they don't understand my problems. They don't. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, yes, I do. Fully understand your problems because I've got the same problems in various ways. It's just I choose to overcome them. It's up to you. You, like all of us, every Christian on the earth, has a decision to make. It's an eternal one. It's not a temporary one. Not a temporary one. It's an eternal decision. Do I face the cross and accept the challenge and then let that hand come down on top of me? Heaven help us. Davis is really anointed here. I thought last Sunday's message was excellent. And again on Friday night, excellent. It's really good, 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 good stuff. May I add to Friday, if you don't mind, could I add something? I liked it. It's very good. He had a list of good stuff up there that God wants to bring in breakthrough. But I was saying to Leanne yesterday, she feels as if a tsunami, a tsunami is a very good example. You know what happens in a tsunami? Everything is pulled away. All the water is gone. Right down to the rock. It's all gone. What happens next? Whoosh! And she feels as if everything's just being pulled away. And I began to go through a few scenarios in Scripture. Like in Ezra. And I said, do you know in the book of Ezra? God destroyed the temple. He obliterated it. There was nothing left. What happened next? 
God turns up. And he speaks to the people. And he said, I did that. I did that. Because I want to rebuild it. And he gave them a promise of your breakthrough. That's what he get. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do And he did. He rebuilt their lives. But it required a stripping down first. And we can achieve everything that Pastor Dave has brought to us on Friday. We can achieve all of that and more. But you have to be empty to be filled. You've got to be willing to empty yourself out, to pour yourself out. And then you can be filled. You've got to be willing to be chopped down in order to grow back bigger. And that requires each one of us sacrificing in different ways. Sacrificing career, money, family, many, many things. The list is long. The list is long. And the missions field is full of people who can tick one of those boxes. Just like you. This is a missions church. And as long as I'm alive, my goal will be to plant churches wherever God sends us. And you find yourself this morning under that umbrella. Give your gift to the body. Serve and be faithful. Get the worldly ideas out of your head. Clear the clutter out of your life, whatever that may be. And watch and see what he will speak to me. Habakkuk said, I will position myself on the rampart and I'm going to stay here. And I will wait and see what he will say to me. Are you willing to do that? I tell you what, I better ask that question again because I'm not the only one listening. Are you willing to do that? He hears all things. He hears all things. Father, would you break whatever chains are put upon us from the day we're born? Chains of expectation. God, forgive us, Lord, that we are worldly in so many ways. And today we choose to look up. We lift up our eyes to the hills where our help comes from, where our Savior is. And Lord, in the name of Jesus, I smash and obliterate every vision given to these people by men, every indoctrination, every blindness. Would you tear it down today? And I pray you would open their eyes, open the eyes of their heart right now, God, that they would see a heavenly vision of their future. That you would give us, again, a vision of the cross in a new and brilliant way. To me, it's exciting. It doesn't threaten me. It doesn't fill me with fear. It fills me with joy. And for the joy set before him, it says Jesus endured the cross. For the joy. Hallelujah.